0: Good morning, guys. Oh, good, it's on. I was really worried that the mic just wouldn't work. There'd be a million things that could go wrong and they would go wrong, but at least one thing has gone right so far. I honestly am so excited to be with you guys today. I, I love our church. I love this community at La Habra, and I love God's Word. And so it's just a joy to be able to open God's Word up with you guys and see what God might have for us today. As uh, I begin this day, our teaching today, I'd like to kind of frame our teaching with a story. And so, it's a while ago, but back in in 1606, uh, some Spanish explorers discovered a set of islands in the South Pacific that had previously been unknown to anyone outside those islands. Uh, The islands are now called the new Hebrides Islands. And it wasn't for another about 200 years um, that finally some missionaries were sent there from England in 1839. And so two young men were sent, and within minutes of landing on those shores, they were killed and eaten by cannibals. Simply crazy. Crazy. But what I think is actually even more amazing is that it was about 19 years later that two more missionaries set out from England to do the same thing, to attempt to share the gospel on those islands. That was John G. Patton and his wife. 19 years earlier, missionaries went, within minutes, killed and eaten. And yet they're willing, only 19 years later, to go and attempt the same. Not without people saying, are you sure you know what you're doing? Uh, On one account before leaving, a respected elder chided the couple, you will be eaten by cannibals. It's fairly apt, it's happened before. To which Patton responded, Mr. Dixon, you are advanced in years now, and your own prospect is soon to be laid in the grave, there to be eaten by worms. I confess to you that if I can but live and die serving and honoring the Lord Jesus, it will make no difference to me whether I am eaten by cannibals or by worms. (laughs) I have to chuckle at that response. I also have to say, is that foolishness? Is that bravery? But really, I, I... I would want to ask, why, like, why in the world would John G. Patton and his young wife be willing to head out to islands thousands of miles away that they might not return from where the last guys died upon minutes of arrival? And I think the reason is, is that, A, ultimately, like, because they desired to glorify God, but that's because they were responding to what God had already done in their lives in bringing them into a relationship with him. And I think it's also because they realized that they carried a message that was the only hope to salvation, the only opportunity to make people right with God, the only way. And so what we're going to be looking at in the passage today is we're going to kind of see that brought out. And kind of see the reasoning behind what I think would make someone like John G. Patton be willing to go to a place where it's likely he's not going to make it out alive. As we begin to look at our passage, I just kind of want to frame our time and and think more about where we are in Acts. And so we've been going through Acts. We're actually going to be in chapter 4 today. Um but we want to understand just where Acts is in general in the history of things. And so Acts is just a shorter name for Acts of the Apostles. And so this is telling the story of the Apostles after they've been with Jesus for for three years, seeing his ministry, seeing him die and rise again. After he rose again, then he was with them for 40 days, at which point he then ascended up into heaven. But... Before he ascended, he told them, like, wait here in Jerusalem. You know, he had been in Jerusalem. That was where he was crucified and rose again. And he tells them, wait until I send my helper to you. And so he ascends. They wait around. It's probably about 10 days. And then the Spirit comes at Pentecost, And this is the story that we heard a couple weeks ago in Acts, the Spirit, descends upon the believers. And now we're in this period where Jesus now ascended. He's at the right hand of the Father in heaven. The Spirit has been given to believers, and now the gospel is going forth. And so we're seeing the story of Acts, as Dennis talks about. It's the story of ordinary people with an irresistible message empowered by the Spirit to change the world. And... The story that we're going to be entering into on today is really a continuation of the story from last week that Robert talked about, where we had Peter and John, they head to the temple, and at the gate called Beautiful, they see a man who's been lame from birth. They heal him. He's unbelievably excited, jumping for joy. It draws a crowd, and an opportunity for Peter to preach the gospel. He preaches, and we enter in at chapter 4, verse 1. So if you have your Bibles, and I hope that you do, would you open them with me to Acts, chapter 4, verse 1. If you don't have a Bible, feel free to look along with someone else near you. I hope they don't mind. Um, and also, we have some Bibles along the aisle. If you have one of our Bibles, uh, it's on page 911. Before we begin, let me, let me just pray for us as we open God's word. Father, I thank you that you would choose to reveal yourself to us through your word. I thank you for this time that we have to open your word and to understand what you might have for us. Lord, I pray that these would be your words, not mine. May we glorify you in the way that we handle your word. In your son's name we pray, amen. Okay, so they just have finished preaching. Chapter 4, verse 1. And as they were speaking to the people, the priests and the captain of the temple and the Sadducees came upon them, greatly annoyed, because they were teaching the people and proclaiming in Jesus the resurrection from the dead. And they arrested them and put them in custody until the next day, for it was already evening. But many of those who had heard the word believed, and the number of the men came to about 5,000. So they preach. Turns out, the temple guard is not so excited about them preaching. They're arrested, and because it's already too late in the day, they can't deal with them now, so they're simply put in prison overnight. But one thing to pay attention to is also that it says, and the number that believed came to 5,000. Now, just a short period of time before this, at Pentecost, there were 120 believers. Right? At Pentecost, Peter preaches, jumps to 3,000. Peter preaches a second time, now it's 5,000. Like, the gospel is going forth at an incredible speed. Like, the spirit is working. Like, if you aren't excited, you should be. This is crazy. Like, I mean, it's not a pyramid scheme, but if it was, it would make money. (laughs) Verse 5. On the next day, their rulers and elders and scribes gathered together in Jerusalem with Annas the high priest and Caiaphas and John and Alexander, and all who are of the high priestly family. So here now they've, they've set up, and they're preparing to have this trial of Peter and John. And notice who's there. It's all of the members of the high priestly family. It's, it's the ruling class. And notice specifically, there's Annas and Caiaphas here. Remember, we're still in Jerusalem where Jesus was crucified. And just a few, a short period of time earlier, when Jesus was on trial, it's Annas and Caiaphas that are there as well. So, you can just imagine, like, this isn't just like, oh, you're just spending the night, like, in jail, and then you're probably going to be released. But you see Annas and Caiaphas coming out, who they just had Jesus killed. It's quite likely that at this point, Peter and John are just a little bit nervous, probably thinking carefully, like, how am I going to respond to this? Like, the stakes just got raised. Like, these guys mean business, they don't want this teaching to go forth. So, let's see what happens. Verse seven, and when they had set them in the midst, they inquired, by what power or by what name did you do this? Then Peter, filled with the Holy Spirit, said to them. Let's draw our attention to this. Peter filled with the Holy Spirit. We know that right now, Peter has to be terrified of what might happen. But it says here that he is filled with the Holy Spirit, and that's something special And amazing and awesome. Because Jesus said that when he sent his spirit, one of the things that spirit would do was he would come in power that they might be witnesses in Jerusalem and Samaria and the ends of the earth. And then, even earlier, Luke records in his gospel that Jesus told them that there's going to be times that come where you're going to be before rulers and magistrates and religious leaders. And when that time comes, the Spirit will teach you what to say in those moments. So right now what we're seeing is these words of Jesus being fulfilled in Peter. He's going to have the Spirit giving him the words to say. But what's also amazing is that as believers, we're told that that same Spirit dwells within us. That same Spirit is in us to give us power to be his witness as well. So let's pay attention to what Peter does, but not as something that should be extraordinary and something that only the apostles can do, but as something that is possible by God's Spirit for his people to do. Peter says, Rulers of the people and elders, if we are being examined today concerning a good deed done to a crippled man, by what means this man has been healed, Let it be known to all of you and to all the people of Israel that by the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, whom you crucified, whom God raised from the dead, by him this man is standing before you well. This Jesus is the stone that was rejected by you, the builders, which has become the cornerstone. This idea of cornerstone probably isn't super familiar to us, but what Peter is saying here is he's actually kind of re-explained the same thing he just said using a word picture. Like, initially he said that they crucified him. You can imagine there, like, Annas and Caiaphas are here. I'm wondering if Peter even pointed. Like, but then they crucified him. God raised him from the dead. And this picture of a stone the builders rejected being the cornerstone is that same idea. And so the cornerstone would pretty much be like a foundation that we would have today. You know, when you're going to build a house, you have to lay the foundation first And at that point, you're going to be structuring everything else around that foundation, line it up. So the foundation being set correctly is of the utmost importance, because if it's off, the whole house will be off. You know, in ancient times, they didn't have cement, and so instead they'd have to be laying a foundation with stones, and the cornerstone would then be that first stone that was placed, that you would take so much time and precision to make sure that you placed it just right, because every other stone in the foundation will be built off of that one stone, And so what Peter is saying is that Jesus is that cornerstone, that although the rulers rejected him, like it's the stone that God has placed to build the foundation of the church off of. And then Peter finishes up with this last verse, verse 12, and this is a verse that I really want us to pay close attention to. He says, And there is salvation in no one else, for there is no other name under heaven, given among men by which we must be saved. Salvation in no one else. No other name given among heaven. Now when Peter is talking here about being saved, he's talking about a spiritual saving. In Luke's gospel, we're told that the son of man came to seek and to save the lost. And the lost, this idea of those that are outside of the kingdom of God, that are are spiritually in need of being saved. And so, what Peter is saying is that there is no other way like to be brought into a right relationship with God apart from the name of Jesus. This name of Jesus is what healed the man last week, and it's this name alone that is able to bring us into a relationship with God when that relationship has been severed. This is a hard saying, especially for our culture today, Pastor and author David Platt, I think, helps us understand just how our culture struggles with this idea. You know, in America, we love the idea that all men are created equal. And it's a beautiful idea, and one of the great things about being Christians is that it has its root in the biblical doctrine of men being created in the image of God. But what our culture does, and and it's kind of subtle... Is we take this idea of all people being created equal to then say all ideas are created equal and all ideas are equally valid. And from there it moves to all faiths are equally valid. And then it comes to the point where the cardinal sin in our culture is that someone would say that a belief, that one belief was true and that another belief is false. To claim that there is Only one that there is anything true when it comes to belief, and belief is not simply a matter of taste. It's something that our culture does not want to hear. And yet when we come upon a passage like this, where Peter so clearly says that there is salvation in no one else, we can't just brush it off. But rather we have to look at it closely and try to understand like, is that really what Peter is saying? Is this really true that there is no other name under heaven given among men by which we must be saved? Because if it is, it changes everything. I think that's what we see. We saw that this idea that this name has something special about it's already been validated by this healing that has occurred. Like this man was lame from birth and he was given, he was able to walk by the power of the name of Jesus. You know, it's not just Peter that says that Jesus is the only way to be saved but Jesus himself says it about himself. He says in in the gospel of John that I am the way and the truth and the life and no one comes to the father it is to God except through me. Jesus claims this exclusivity as well as being the only opportunity for us to have a relationship with God is through him. And Jesus himself his claim is validated by the fact that he not only died but he rose again. And according to the Apostle Paul, he appeared to the disciples and he appeared to over 500 men at one time of which, Paul says, many of them are still alive when he is writing. Like this is something that can be validated, that can be understood. It's not something that is expected to be taken blindly, but it's a claim that we must investigate. I want to tell you guys a story that I think might help us to kind of grasp this idea. So for those of you that don't know, I grew up in Alaska. Uh, It's one of the things that I just love. It was the greatest place to grow up. And remember there was one day, it was actually in my senior year of high school, December 2005. Okay, so it was a while ago. And I was sitting in chemistry class, and this class was actually taught by my best friend Carl. His dad taught the class. I remember this day very specifically because on this day, my teacher got a phone call. And the phone call went something like this. Carl's okay, but he just got rescued by the Coast Guard. Not the greatest phone call to get, but better than some other ones. And so what had happened is that My friends and I, we loved doing everything outdoors, and duck hunting was one of the things that we loved most of all during the fall. And so, my three friends, Carl, Nick, and Tom, had gone out duck hunting that day. I would have been with them, but they were a year ahead of me in school, so they were in college already and had no classes that day. So I instead was in chemistry class, and they were duck hunting. But they had gone out, it's the last day of the season, And don't know exactly what happened, but something went wrong, kind of. The wind was a little bit heavier than they were expecting. Maybe the boat was turned a little bit off. And a bigger wave than expected came right over the front of the boat, completely swamped it, submerged it, nose down. The boat flips. Carl and Tom end up jumping off the side so they don't get captured underneath. Nick somehow, we're still unsure how, manages to kind of climb over the boat as it's flipping and ends up on top without ever going in the water. (laughs) Still don't know how that happened. But at this point now, Carl and Tom are in the water. The boat's flipped. It's a bad situation. Nick realizes it's a bad situation, starts trying to to figure out, like, do do we have something, like, contact help with, looking for like cell phone or something, he's diabetic and, and finds his diabetic pack and realizes this is a bad situation, don't need this anymore, chucks it. Maybe not the brightest idea, but it's, it's a bad situation, so just to get an idea of that. So I checked in, at Newport Beach on Friday, the water temperature, 69.6 degrees Fahrenheit. If any of you guys went to the beach today, like, you'd say it's pretty brisk. Okay? okay? But in December at Newport Beach, the average water temperature is 61 degrees Fahrenheit. In Juneau, Alaska, in December, the average water temperature is 38 degrees Fahrenheit, just 6 degrees above freezing. It's cold water. And that's really important when you're submerged in that water in a survival situation. Because according to cold water research, in the December LA water, 61 degrees, you can survive, you can stay, like, you won't go unconscious until probably two to seven hours, and you can survive for somewhere between two to 40 hours. In the 38 degree weather, 38 degree water in Juneau, you will be unconscious within 15 to 30 minutes and their survival expectancy is 30 to 90 minutes. It doesn't look super good for my friends. You know, they, they can't right the boat. And even if they could, it's unlikely that the engine would start. There's no chance they could swim. Swimming is actually going to lower your body temperature even quicker than staying in one place. And it kind of guarantees that you're not going to make it. There's no boats nearby. There's like... Basically, not many options. Luckily, they have life preservers on. And thankfully, Nick had been in the habit, after damaging countless cell phones through duck hunting, getting them in salt water, he had his cell phone in a plastic bag and didn't toss that with the diabetic (laughs) kit. And thankfully, they knew that they were able to call Star CG, which is a direct line to the Coast Guard, which will get them on the phone just a little bit quicker. And thankfully, the Coast Guard wasn't in their usual location, which would have taken probably thirty to forty minutes to get to them. Which realizing now that would be not soon enough necessarily. And they were instead on maneuvers at Oak Bay, which meant that they were maybe fifteen to twenty minutes out instead. And so thankfully, they were plucked out of the water after being in there for about twenty-eight minutes. And luckily everyone was still conscious, but shaken up and freezing cold. And yes, we did go hot tubbing that night. (laughs) Now, as you can probably imagine, the last question that my friends were asking when the Coast Guard arrived or that night as we're talking in the hot tub is, why in the world was there only one way that we could be rescued? There's no way they were asking that. When you see like, all the things that lined up to make it even possible, the chance of them being rescued was not the likely thing. Rather, the chance of them being rescued was the least likely possibility. The question they were asking is, how in the world was there any way that we could be saved? What I want us to notice this morning is that we were in that same position that my friends were in. We were the ones that were stuck in the dire situation, except really, we were in a worse situation because according to Paul, we were dead in our sins, unable to even call for help. And so the question for us shouldn't be when we see that, that, Paul, that Peter says that Jesus is the only way, that why is there only one way? Our question should be, how amazing is it that there is any way at all that we could be saved? How amazing is it that God would make a way for us? Those people that have turned from him, that have chosen, instead of having the relationship with him that that he created us for, rather have rebelled against him and turned to our own ways instead. How is it possible that God might might make a way through Christ to save us? Question we gotta ask is how amazing is it that there would be any way at all? Let's take a look at the response that the council has to, to Peter. Let's look at verse 13. Now, when they saw the boldness of Peter and John and perceived that they were uneducated, common men, they were astonished. I want you to notice here one, one more time. Now, Peter and John are uneducated common men. Remember I said that we shouldn't think of this as being a huge difference between them and us. The difference about Peter and John is that they noticed that they had been with Jesus and that they now have the Spirit of God dwelling in them, giving them the words to speak. And they recognized that they had been with Jesus, but seeing the man who was healed standing beside them and charge them not to speak or teach at all in the name of Jesus. So they set up this trial. Peter and John respond to their question of in what power, by what power, by what name have you healed this man? And they give a response, and then we get to kind of see what happens in the inner room. Like in the council when they're deliberating, like what are we gonna do about this situation? And I want us to see their response and be somewhat terrified by what we see. Because notice, they don't deny the fact that this man was healed. They're like, nope, actually he's here. He was kind of a witness for the trial. Like, there's no denying the fact that this man really was healed. And there's no denying that Peter says the reason he was healed is because of the name of Jesus. So they accept that. They realize they can't deny that. And yet still, even though they see the truth, they still deny its implications. I feel like, it's such an easy thing for us to do. We, so often we think that we're completely rational and logical people, but the truth is it's so easy for us to see something and realize that it's true and yet live in a completely different way. Like, my prayer for us is that we would not end up like this council. Rather, my prayer is that we would be more like the 2,000 that have believed when they saw this message, when they heard this teaching. Or maybe even that they would be like Peter and John, and how they respond to being told not to teach. Verse 19. But Peter and John answered them. This gets good. Whether it is right in the sight of God to listen to you rather than to God, you must judge. For we cannot but speak of what we have seen and heard. And when they had further threatened them, they let them go, finding no way to punish them because of the people. For all were praising God for what had happened. For the man on whom this sign of healing was performed was more than 40 years old. I, I pray that our response would be like Peter and John's. They're compelled to speak. They have, they have seen this. They have, they have to have realized like, how amazing is it that there would be any way at all that we might be saved. Like, how could we not but speak of what we have seen and heard? Like, they've realized, like, they've seen Jesus. They, they know what he's done. And they realize that the only rational response to that is to be compelled to speak and to share. But the question is what, what will our response be to this? What will our response be to realizing that, that A, that there is a way that we can be saved? And what is our response to realizing that there is only one way to be saved for all peoples? You know, for those of us, I'm sure there's some people in the room that, that you are kind of just checking this out. You wouldn't say that you have a relationship with Christ, that you've trusted in him. And maybe this is a time when it's maybe the first time that you've heard that Jesus is the only way to salvation. Our culture will tell you that there's a million ways. And that you're just fine. But if it's really true, there's only one way. I hope that today is a day that that's really impacting your heart and impacting your mind and causing you to consider, like, is this really true? Is what Peter says about Jesus true? Is he really the only way to salvation? Is there actually a way that I can be right with God? Is there a way that I can be forgiven? I'd like to tell you that There is. For a lot of you, like, you do know Jesus. You do have a relationship with him. And so, for those of us that do know this, I think our our first response just needs to be worship. Like, how amazing is it that there is any way that we might be saved? Like, how right is it that we would respond and worship God, that he would choose to save us? I think our second response would be I'm sure that all of you have friends and family members that don't know Christ. And that's when we have to realize that this is a hard message because we can't comfort ourselves with saying they're probably going to be okay because Peter is clear here there is no other way to be saved except by the name of Jesus. So our response has to be to, to pray for them, to be willing to share with them, to be led by the Spirit in that, to seek opportunities because we realize that apart from Christ, there is no hope. And finally, I think there's no way to look at this passage And to not consider the world. To consider missions. The statistics for those that know Jesus throughout the world are are scary. Right now, there are more than 7,000 people groups that are considered unreached. And what that unreached means is that they literally have no access to the gospel. Basically, they there's no way that they will meet anyone like, that knows the name of Jesus and could tell them about Jesus. And if we really believe, Peter, that there is no other way, that should move us because those 7,000 people groups makes up about 3 billion people. And so when we hear a message like this, we have to just be willing to like, step before God and say, God, I want to follow you. Are we willing to give him a blank check? Are we willing to say, like, we want to be about what you're about in the world, and God's desire is for all people to know him? And so does not mean that everyone necessarily is going to be called to go? But we need to be praying for those peoples. We need to be giving towards, like, missions that are going to go to share. Thankfully, this church family supports a number of, of missionaries that are working among those people groups that would otherwise have no access to the gospel, and so we 're thankful that we are sending we want to continue sending more people to go reach the lost, and we also want to consider is God calling us to go be willing to be willing to go as He leads as I close today, I just want us to to understand what I think that that Peter and John understood and what John G Patton understood when he and his wife headed off quite possibly to their deaths and what so many other Christians throughout history have understood and that's that what God has done for us is worth going and sharing and that because there is only one way that there's a need like that we should be compelled. My prayer is that we would be compelled, just like Peter and John, to say, how could we not but speak of what we have seen and heard? I'd like to call the ushers forward for this morning's offering. So the offering is, is a chance for, for those of us who love Jesus to, to respond by giving of what he has given us, And so if you are just visiting today, I just want to say that we are just so grateful that you are here. Um, And please, if you'd simply be willing to, to turn in your connection card with the information, that would be great, but please don't feel obligated. Let me pray for us. Father, how amazing is it that there would be any way that we might be brought into relationship with you? Thank you so much for sending your son to take our place, to pay the penalty that we deserve, Lord, that we might be forgiven of our sins and brought into relationship with you. I pray that you would help our lives to reflect that, that we might be able to speak with boldness your words. We pray this in your son's holy name, amen.